no matter what the scoreboard says and no matter how tired you are, you have to give it everything you have for four quarters. Welcome to Athletes Doing Good Podcast, sponsored by Robert Hack Diamonds. I'm Shelley Seward, president of Capture Sports Marketing. And I'm sports reporter Jen Latta. Former defensive end Devin Still was familiar with adversity during and after his football career. His biggest adversary came after his retirement in June of 2014. His daughter, Leo, was diagnosed with neuroblastoma stage 4 cancer. As Devin sat with her during treatment, he noticed a lot of kids were in the hospital alone while their mom or dad were at work fighting to keep food on the table for their family. Inspired to financially help families whose children are battling cancer so no child has to battle alone, he started the Still Strong Foundation. Devin's passion to make an impact in the lives of these families make him another example of an athlete doing good. To learn more about athletes doing good, visit CaptureSportsMarketing.com. Devin, thank you so much for joining us today. I think a lot of people obviously came to know you because of your daughter's struggles with cancer. But I want to go back before that, when you were you know, working hard to try to make it in the NFL. What were the characteristics and habits that you found most critical to having success in that field? One would just be consistency. Consistently waking up every day and doing the things that are necessary in order to prepare yourself, especially in college, in order to make it to the NFL. That includes, you know, working out, going to class, making sure you're academically eligible to play on the field so that your coaches and your teammates can depend on you. And another thing would just be resiliency. Throughout my college career, throughout my career playing football, period, I faced uh, tons of injuries from torn ACLs, MCLs. I broke my leg twice, blew out my back, dislocated elbow, torn rotator cuff. You name an injury, I probably had it. So being able to make a comeback after facing all that adversity in college and in the NFL really helped me get to that level. And how did that adversity prepare you, probably subconsciously, for what then you and your family would go through with your daughter's diagnosis? Yeah, I feel like there's always opportunity in the difficulty. And I feel like me going through all those challenges, it it really helped me develop a resilient mindset. It gave me the tools on how to make your comeback when life sets you back. And that's exactly what I took into my daughter's battle with cancer is everything I learned from my injuries from growing up in the, the tough environment that I grew up in, the things I had to learn in order to get myself out of there and make it to college. I basically just taught my daughter all those life lessons combined with the lessons that I learned from football. Take us back to to 2014. You were playing with the Bengals when you received your daughter's diagnosis of cancer. Take us back to that time period. Yeah, that that was a crazy time period. And the reason why is because during my second year with the Bengals, when I was taking on a, a bigger role with the team and I got off to a really great start. Against the Detroit Lions, I remember I dislocated my elbow, so I was out for five weeks trying to rehab to get back out on the field. And then two weeks after making it back from dislocating my elbow, I blew out my back against the Steelers, and I ended up having a season in back surgery. And a week after having that season in back surgery, I got rushed to the hospital with blood clots in my lungs where I almost died. 
So that year was just like, it was a roller coaster. Like I was excited that I was taking on a bigger role, but then I got hit with a lot of challenges back to back to back. And I was just trying to find a way to get myself together because I was a mess mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And um, my wife ended up talking me into going back to church and, and trying to find a relationship with God. So we ended up doing that. And we ended up taking our faith journey serious and we ended up getting baptized together. And two months after that was when Leah got diagnosed with cancer. So it was just like my second year in the NFL was one of the craziest years I ever been through in my life. But we came together as a family and we were able to overcome it. I think a lot of people have experienced cancer, maybe not to the close proximity that you have with it being your daughter. And I know Shelly and I are both parents and we know that we would do anything, you know, right. give up body parts in order to to uh, help our kids when they're in in tough situations. Um, What is something that you didn't realize about a cancer diagnosis and being that intimately connected to this disease? To be honest, I I didn't know anything about a cancer diagnosis. I never had anybody in my family that was battling cancer. And what was interesting about this whole ordeal to me is obviously I went to Penn State and at Penn State, they have one of the biggest student run philanthropy uh, missions with Thon, where they raise money every year to support children who are battling cancer. Now, with the football team, we always have an opportunity to hang out with the families and hang out with the kids. And we would take them around the football football building and just show them the day in the life of a a college football player, Penn State player. And when Leah got diagnosed with cancer, it made me realize that during those tours that I would give these families and the kids, I, I made a mistake because I oftentimes spent time showing them what it was like to live a day in the life of a Penn State player, but I never really sat down and had a conversation of what it's like to Uh, be a family that's living with a child with cancer. And I didn't get a chance to understand that or learn that until Leah was diagnosed with cancer. And it was like, you just get thrown into a world that is extremely unfamiliar. I remember when Leah first got diagnosed with cancer, every morning the doctors would make their rounds and they would give you an update on what's going on with your child's case. And they would come get you like seven in the morning. They'll bring you out into the hallway and you will be surrounded by like 10 doctors just talking amongst each other about what direction they want to go in with the case. And it was like they were speaking a foreign language to me. I had no idea what they were talking about. So I spent hours, days and nights um, on the computer in the hallway, just researching the terminology that they use in the cancer community, trying to understand my daughter's cancer, because as a parent of a child battling cancer, you have to make a decision on the treatment that can possibly save your child's life, which was scary to me. But just in the first couple of weeks of being in the hospital, what I learned was the financial burden that families face when their child's battling cancer, how they end up losing 40% of their annual household income during the cancer treatment work-related disruption. So to just see how many families were trying to fight not to lose their child while still fighting not to lose their home or their car, it it was just eye-opening to me. I'm guessing that is what ultimately led you to create your foundation. 
Yes, it, it was. It was. It was actually a specific instance that led to me to start the foundation. Because when Leah first got diagnosed and our story was making its rounds in the media, everybody was asking me, do you have a foundation um, that we can donate to to support? And at first, I didn't start a foundation because I was focused on Leah, doing everything I could to make sure that Leah overcame this battle. And I didn't want to start a foundation that is here today and then gone tomorrow. And with me being new to the cancer community, I didn't really know the struggles that a lot of people were facing. But I remember it was one time in the hospital at, at Chop Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I was taking Leah to the art room because she loved to color and paint in order to pass time while she was getting chemo. And when we walked into the, the art room, there was a little girl that was around eight or nine years old, and she was sitting at the table by herself coloring and painting. And over her left shoulder, there was an IV pole that was dripping chemo into her brovidiac catheter that was hanging from her chest. And I looked at Leah. We both looked at each other at the same time to signal that we were going to go sit with her because we didn't want her to have to sit alone. And after about three to five minutes of us sitting and coloring with the little girl, she started to open up. And she had told us that she spent a lot of time in the hospital by herself because she came from a single parent household and her mom would have to leave her to go to work so that they didn't lose their home or lose their car. And it crushed me when she said that because it's already sad enough or hard enough for a child to go through something like this, but to have to go through it alone. And there's nobody in the hospital to hug you and let you know that it's okay and that you don't have to go through this by yourself. It completely broke me. And I remember calling her mom. I asked for her mom's number. I called her mom. I offered to pay her bills so that she can spend more time with her daughter in the hospital. And as I spent more time in the hospital, it was like when I would walk down the hallways there would be doors open. Like normally your doors are closed in these hallways because you have to try to keep the germs out the room because the kids don't have an immune system um, as they're going through chemo. So sometimes I'll be walking through the hallway and I would see some of the room doors were open. And in those rooms, it would be like babies in cribs that had bars on it so they couldn't roll out of bed. And I asked the nurse one time, like, why do y'all keep these doors open in certain rooms? And she told me that uh, the, the doors that are open means that the parents are not there with the child. And I realized that that girl that we met in the art room wasn't an outlier. Like, this is something that is prevalent in the, the cancer community, that there are a lot of kids who are in the hospital fighting by themselves because their parents have to make the decision of being by the child's bedside or going to work so that they still had a home to go home to. And when I saw that, I, I realized we had to do something about it. And that's when I started the Still Strong Foundation. Devin, that is an unbelievable story. Yeah. Like it is unbelievable to me. It's never even occurred to me that there would be kids battling cancer alone oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. because their parents, and again, it makes perfect sense, but it's just another like space in the cancer community that just doesn't get a lot of attention. So kudos to you and your foundation for Thank trying you. to remedy something that shouldn't be a reality. Like you're doing such a good job of like bringing humanity to, to an issue that so many people, again, are aware of, but probably aren't acutely aware of. Coming up. Devin will share what it was like finding out his daughter was finally cancer-free. But before he does, I want to tell you a little bit about today's episode sponsor, Robert Hack Diamonds. For more than 72 years, 
Robert Hack Diamonds has been Wisconsin's most trusted and respected name known for diamond engagement rings, wedding rings, and custom jewelry. With a commitment to customer service, Robert Hack Diamonds applies the highest level of professionalism and expertise while guiding you in your search for an expertly crafted, stunningly beautiful diamond. For store locations or to shop online, visit roberthackdiamonds.com. When your daughter was finally cancer-free, can you just go through the range of emotions that you and your family experienced? Yeah, it, it was. It, it was extremely crazy because I remember when she first got diagnosed, the feeling that I had, like my world just came crashing down. And when the doctors sat across from us and told us that she had a 50% chance of surviving, it's like it just takes the air out of you. It takes the life out of you. And they told us that if she were to beat this disease, that it would take uh, five years to do so for her to be cancer free. So I remember we first put her into a clinical trial called MIBG, which is a radiation therapy. And it was it was a new clinical trial. And the, the doctors were very high on this new treatment. They thought that it, she had a really good chance of beating cancer if we put her into this clinical trial. So she had to go through like four months of high dosage chemo, followed by five days of being isolated in a room by herself where she was administered radiation. And I remember they... Uh, we had to take her in to get scans done after she completed her treatment. And I think every parent who's has a child battling cancer, you experience something called scan anxiety, where it's just like the night before the scans, your your mind's all over the place, wondering if, you know, your your child is healed from this disease or the cancer spread all over her body. And that's what we were experiencing the night before. So we took her in, they did the test, and a couple of days later, we got the results. And the doctors told us that the treatment didn't work. In fact, that the cancer had spread all over her body. Originally, it was just in her hip, and then it spread to her chest, her arms, her shoulder, her back, her neck, and it was even in her skull. And if there was ever a time where I thought I was going to lose my daughter, it was during that time. But like I told you before, I took a lot of the principles that I learned from football into this battle with cancer. And in football, we were taught that no matter what the scoreboard says and no matter how tired you are, you have to give it everything you have for four quarters. And that's what I preached to my daughter when we found out the bad news. And I told her that as long as I was alive and as long as she was alive, we was going to give it everything we have and until, you know, the clock ran out. So a new clinical trial had just came out. It was called a CH1418, which is an antibody therapy. And we decided to put her into this treatment, which was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make as a parent, because as a parent, you want to do everything you can to protect your child. And you want to do everything you can to be a decision maker in your child's life. But with this treatment, you your decision-making abilities were stripped from you because you would just tell the doctor that you wanted to be in this clinical trial and the computer would randomly choose uh, what kind of treatment your child would get, which was hard for me to do, but I did it anyway. And after she went through this, this clinical trial, we had to go back again for the scans. And again, I experienced the scan anxiety even worse this time because last time we got the bad news. Uh, but after the tests, they told us it would be two to three days before we got the results back. And we ended up driving home. And I lived about 10 minutes away from the hospital at this time. And as soon as we pulled up in our driveway, my phone started to ring and it was the doctor's office. And my heart dropped because I felt like she was going to tell us that the cancer had spread again. But when I answered the phone, she told us that she couldn't wait 
because she had to tell us some good news. And she told us that they didn't see any evidence of disease on Leah's scans and she was in remission. And I remember just dropping the phone and I looked over at my wife who was in the, the driver's seat. And then I looked back uh, over my left shoulder at Leah who was in the back seat. And she just looked at me with this big smile on her face and was like, dad, did I beat up cancer? And to be able to tell her yes, it was just like the best feeling that I ever felt in, in my life. That's remarkable. And I have to imagine that you get the results of no evidence of disease, but I have to believe from talking to so many other parents of children, there's still that anxiety down the road of (laughs) the next scan. You still have that scan anxiety. (laughs) I I, I can't even imagine going through. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy because before Leah was diagnosed with cancer, she had a cough, I would think nothing of it. She had a cold. I would think nothing of it. But after you get that diagnosis of your child having cancer, it's like any cough they have, any sneeze they have, they have a runny nose. Your mind just starts going all crazy places. Like, is the cancer back? Um, What's going on? What's going to be the next steps? It took us a, a couple of years to really get over that. And I had to tell myself that, look, she had cancer once. And we were able to overcome it. We were able to defeat it. So I'm not going to sit here and let cancer steal the rest of our life. I'm not going to allow cancer to steal our sanity. I'm not going to allow cancer to steal our joy. We're going to focus on just enjoying the time and the moments that we have together. And if the cancer ever comes back, then we'll just handle it accordingly. But if it already took two years of our life, we're not going to continue to give it any more years of our life. But I will tell you this, when she hit that five year mark this past March, it was like a weight was lifted off our shoulder because now we understood the chances of that disease coming back was slim to none. And that just it just frees you from a lot of the chains that uh, cancer diagnosis puts on a family. You have become obviously so well known for championing these causes. I think people are very recognizable, both you and Leah. But look, you are a football player, first and (laughs) foremost. I know you're paying attention to these these playoffs. I know you're keeping an eye on these quarterbacks. Tell me who of the quarterbacks who are still alive in the playoffs, and it may change by the time this podcast is released. Right. But right. if you're looking at, you know, you're looking at Josh Allen and you're looking at Lamar Jackson and Baker right. Mayfield, and then the guys in the NFC like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, who is the best of the best out there? Like, who do you not want to go against as a defensive player? Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, hands that was down. quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hands down, he was he's not somebody that you want to go up to because I think he's so unorthodox in the way that he plays the game. He's hard to defend. Just the, the different ways he throw on angles, the way he's able to run and still get the ball off accurate. It's hard to play against somebody like him. And then he has a lot of, you know, great players around him. But if you're facing guys like you know, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, you can't count him out just because the amount of experience he has in the postseason. Lamar Jackson, he's a dual threat quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, and it's Aaron Rodgers. He can make anything happen if there's still time left on the clock. So I think there's a lot of, you know, great quarterbacks that are still in the postseason right now. Like you mentioned, Josh Allen is turning it on. Baker Mayfield has been able to get uh, the Browns their first playoff win in I don't know how long. So I think it's going to be exciting playoffs. All right, but who of those guys do you want to hang out with? There's a difference between a guy that you want on your team leading the offense down the field. Who do you want to hang out with? Who are you inviting over? It it would have to be Tom Brady. Just because when somebody has been able to do it 
at that level for so long, he clearly has an inside look on what it takes to be great, what it takes to have longevity, what it takes to be the best at whatever you do. So just being able to hang out with him and pick his brain on what he's been able to do in order to, you know, reach this level of success that he has, I think would be pretty beneficial. But if I was still in my heyday and I was just looking to have fun, it would have to be Baker Mayfield because he looks like he has a lot of fun off the field. He he does. (laughs) Last question. How's Leah? What does she love to do now? Oh, she she's doing really good. Um, obviously she's she's struggling like many kids are, not being able to go to school and having to do, you know, online learning. Because of her medical history, we can't send her to school because she's at a, a high risk. So just trying to find ways to basically make that transition to online school. It's been pretty tough, but Health-wise, she's doing really good. Just being able to live her life like, you know, every other child out there. That's amazing. Thank you for all you have done in raising awareness, in raising funds, in helping so, so many families. Thank you. We certainly appreciate it and wish you and Leah nothing but the best moving forward. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Athletes Doing Good, sponsored by Robert Hack Diamonds. Go to CaptureSportsMarketing.com to listen to our other interviews and to hear stories about the person behind the player and the people behind the team who are making an impact on others.